0: Welcome to the podcast, A Life Well Lived, with me, Constance Knox.
1: Mine is A Life Well Lived. Can't
0: you see the seven-story life Thank good for me? And so I've tried. You know there's nothing left inside me, but I... We live in fractured times, however, there is one event uniting cultures, people and nations, an event that has gripped people for centuries, from as early as 776 BC, the Olympics. The Olympics has played more than a sporting role in the past. Its significance in history is huge. The 1940 and 1944 Olympics were cancelled due to the war, and it returned to London in 1948, just as the war had ended. However, Japan and Germany were banned from competing as punishment for their war crimes, and the Soviet Union, although invited, declined to take part. So the 1952 Helsinki Olympics was the first time most nations came together in peace. After so much death and destruction, it was a political statement, in the very fact it was largely unpolitical. Aside from the odd peace protest, the Games were calm, friendly and inclusive. 69 nations joined in, with almost 5,000 athletes. New countries like China, Indonesia and Israel made their debut. Japan and West Germany were invited back. It demonstrated the beginning of a new world order, one that was moving on from the shadow of World War II. But what was it like to be there? Tony Nunn, who is now 92, ...took part in the 1952 Olympic Games... ...and tells us what it was like to be witness to such an incredible event. But before we meet Tony, a small bit about the podcast. A Life Well Lived podcast aims to give a voice to the extraordinary stories... ...told by the Forgotten Generation. When I say Forgotten Generation... I mean, all our interviewees are over the age of 70 and have lived long lives, drenched in joy, suffering, success and often hope. All of them have witnessed war, political unrest or vast social or personal change. So meet Olympic medal winner Tony
1: Nunn. I think the experience which was really unique was the Olympic Village, where, of course, you were mixing with all the other athletes from all the other countries. Mm. And, of course, we had many famous people in the British side, people like Chris Chataway and Roger Bannister, who were figures on the television to me prior to going there.
0: A Life Well Live podcast is supported by the leading charity, the U3A. The U3A is a UK-wide movement bringing people in their old age together to develop their interests and continue their learning. It has over 400,000 members. We'd like to say a big thank you to our leading sponsor, Cox and Kings. Without their funding, this podcast wouldn't have been possible. And if anyone would like to book an adventure, Cox and Kings are specialists in award-winning small group tours and luxury tailor-made itineraries to the world's most captivating destinations. Tony Nunn, now 92, was witness to the extraordinary atmosphere of the 1952 Helsinki Games. He was part of Britain's men's field hockey team, and not only did he compete, but he won an Olympic medal.
1: Game ...in Amsterdam. Have enough holiday left. Home tomorrow. That was a telegram I sent from Helsinki back to my boss to get two additional days' holiday. These were various telegrams. I've never seen the telegram before. No, I've
0: never seen a telegram. Tonya reminds me that chivalry isn't dead. He has that old-school charm and warmth that one hardly sees these days. His eyes sparkle, and we're offered a cup of tea and some biscuits upon arrival. Tony is not like today's Olympic champions who have trained from childhood every day religiously. It was not his life's goal or full-time occupation. Tony was 25, working nine till five in the city of London. He was keen on sport and hockey was something he did at the weekend.
1: I was working in the insurance industry. Uh, I'd been playing a lot of club hockey. I knew a lot of the people. Um, We had uh, various trials and uh, I think that uh, I was probably very lucky to be selected at the time. I happened to play fairly well at, I think, a particular festival where the selectors were there. And um, the day I heard I'd been selected for the final uh, Sixteen was my birthday, but uh, that's one of the things I remember.
0: When's your birthday?
1: Twenty fourth of May, nineteen fifty two.
0: Well, he must have been very excited when you were selected. Uh,
1: well, I, I, yes, I was, I was, I was surprised. Let's put it that way. And of course, it it was a terrific honour.
0: And where would you train?
1: Uh, well, largely the training uh, you were doing uh, self training yourself at the weekends, and I used to run a lot over the weekends and uh, over the weeks in the evenings. And the training was fairly hectic. We used to go up to Lillyshaw all up into Wales where we used to go up and had uh, two days very strenuous training at the weekends.
0: So what would that entail? What would be a sort of daily routine of training? Uh,
1: uh, w- well, the routine of training there was uh, physical training, uh, running, uh, practice matches, practicing various moves and that sort of thing. And um, gymnastics was part certainly part of it. I think the training was not as... Organised as it is these days, uh, a lot of the training was done by by fellow players who happened to be uh, gymnastic instructors. A couple of the players were teaching sport at schools and therefore they were teaching gymnastics as opposed to having any professional trainers. I think these days uh, hockey is, uh, to me, more and more perhaps like ice hockey because uh, when we were playing, if you, if anyone was injured, well, then you played with ten men. Mm. And uh, no question of bringing on reserves or anything like that. And
0: so it was a team of eleven. Well, that's right. And each man was therefore very precious because Indeed. they Indeed. made up a huge part of the team. That's right. So what position did you play?
1: I used to play on the right wing. July
0: 1952. The torch was lit, and the games were set to begin.
1: It wasn't that easy to get flights then. You know, these were charter flights that we went out on. And um, I, I think my father was working fairly hard in London, and my sister, who was ten years younger, and so uh, mother was very involved, and although they were very enthusiastic and followed it very, uh, very closely, I don't think there was any suggestion of that.
0: And let's talk about the opening ceremony, which, as uh, all the other Olympics, people throw so much money at them. What was it like? Was What was the atmosphere like?
1: Oh, there was a terrific atmosphere. In fact, uh, the management of our team didn't want us to go to the opening ceremony because they thought it was going to be uh, too tiring doing the march. But we rather rebelled and said, look, we're going, it's something unique, we're going to go. So we did, in fact, go. Uh, there was uh, a certain amount of interruption because there was a peaceful, Lady who ran round and rather disrupted the the ceremony during uh, as the uh, and quite peacefully and she was escorted away. But of course, a lot of the pictures were shown of this lady in white who I think came from oh, Germany really? who was trying to advocate peace. And they'd got this lovely specially built stadium. The, I, if my memory is right, the crowds were very enthusiastic. So uh, the rain um, persisted, but I think because of the ceremony, people rather. Uh, forgot about the weather
0: i mean obviously winning was a part of it and being there to play the hockey Mm. but also the whole experience as a whole being in finland um being surrounded by really amazing athletes and also just visiting another country with so many other countries since the war having not been together like this in a really long time i think
1: the other experience which was really unique was the olympic village Yes. where, of course, you were mixing with all the other athletes from all the other countries. Mm. And, of course, we had many famous people in the British side, people like Chris Chatterway and Roger Bannister, who were figures on the television to me prior to going there. Uh, Chris Chatterway was, was a runner, and uh, Roger Bannister, he was one of the uh, athletes who uh, he ran the first four-minute mile, let's put it wow. that way and um it was great honor to to be in sort of a team with them although we didn't necessarily see them all the time but it was all part of the olympic village which was um i think probably one of the most um, um interesting experiences.
0: And was the Olympic Village huge? How many people, because I I read somewhere there were 4,000 men who competed and over 500 women.
1: I think that must have been the case. Although, of course, what, what you must remember was you weren't necessarily there for the period of the Olympics because you were there when your event was there and your event might well have finished well before... The games themselves were finished, so there was a certain amount of transition.
0: Because now you hear all these stories about the Olympic villages being a bit of a riot, um, yeah. I think, because there are lots of men and women there, quite a lot of sex and things yeah. goes on. I can imagine, though, back in the 50s, it wouldn't have been so... Well,
1: uh, let's put it this way, uh, not, not to my knowledge, <laughs> let's put it that way. I don't think while one was playing, one had the time and thought for it. Um,
0: (laughs) How many games did you play?
1: We had a match against a Finnish team. We played the Belgians and we played, I think, two other games. Having defeated the Belgians, we then came upon the India, that's right, who were very, very good under the flaming torch, symbol of the Olympic spirit. India, winners of Pool 1, and Germany, runners up in Pool 3, met in the first semi-final. And uh, we lost to India. We had a very uh, tough game with the Indians, and we lost 3-1. And we eventually ended up in the uh, semi-final. Having lost to the Indians, we had to play uh, Pakistan. And we, uh, for the bronze medal game, and uh, we managed, that was a very exciting game, Uh, particularly uh, in the last few minutes when they were, uh, they were attacking the goal, I seem to remember, and uh, we were defending very strongly, whether you were in the forwards or the back, and and managed to, to beat Pakistan
0: an exciting game giving Britain one of its precious bronze medals. In the end, it was an exciting final between the Netherlands and India, but India proved they were just too good to be beaten.
1: The final whistle broke the tension, and a jubilant Indian team maintains its unbeaten run. Six chances, six wins, the perfect result. We had a a, a fairly low-key um, presentation ceremony.
0: But how did you feel knowing you'd won a bronze? Oh, I
1: was obviously uh, very pleased and that sort of thing, but uh, I don't think the realisation of it really came home to one, perhaps till afterwards.
0: And what did your family say when you told them you'd won an Olympic medal?
1: I mean, obviously, they were very pleased, and we had sort of various telegrams from one's office and various telegrams, yeah. uh, as I think I was showing you, on decoration, I think, or something like that. That sort of telegram so we had from much. Fan,
0: fan base.
1: Uh, I wouldn't say that. <sighs> I wouldn't say that. But the office were always. My office were very obviously supportive, as was the. As was the, obviously our club and uh, and one's um one's friends.
0: You mentioned earlier very important. Point that it's the first time since the war that a lot of Eastern Europe came together. Um, the Soviet Union, China, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Israel, Thailand, and Saarland made their debut. Post-war, what were the relations like between the countries? That Japan and Germany were just being allowed back, and um, this was the first Olympics they were allowed back after being banned from previous ones because of their war actions. Well.
1: Uh- I think it was looked upon, and if my memory is right, I think a lot of the uh, the general attitude was, as I say, it was looked upon as a friendly games. And I think I certainly got the impression, and again, I think it was looked upon as a good thing, that there were more competitors from those nations competing. And I don't think, the I don't recall it being, it didn't get involved in politics, it went that way.
0: Now, what do you think about teamwork now? One of the
1: things I've always advocated is the fact that uh, if someone can be uh, learn to be part of a team which might apply both to sport and mm. uh, work uh, there are opportunities to feel that by getting together and working together as a team you can uh, perhaps succeed more than being a sole individual
0: and perhaps that's something for our generation we lack slightly because everyone is very much encouraged to be individual a lot of the time and I think I think that
1: yes I think that is difficult I agree it's it's probably difficult to feel people can necessarily do that on the other hand I think it's a good training for uh, right through life that uh, that uh, working together um, is helpful Obviously, from a peace point of view, that's a bit politically, it's a bit different. But you can achieve more if there is cooperation between those concerned.
0: Tony competed in the greatest sporting event in the world. Yet it's worth pointing out that it took some persuasion to let me interview him. Tony did not want to be shown as bragging, and in no way did he want to be glorified for his achievements. And I hope, having heard Tony and his story, you can see that this is the kind of man who is extraordinarily humble, a trait that seems to run so strongly through the wartime generation and all the interviewees I've been able to meet. Something I feel I could definitely learn from. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find more episodes and photos of all our interviewees on our website www.alifewelllived-podcast.com That's www.alifewelllived-podcast.com Or you can listen on Spotify, iTunes, just search Life Well Lived and please subscribe and rate our podcast so we can keep telling more amazing stories. Some of our interviewees come from the U3A so if you're listening and you have a story you want to tell Please do get in touch with us at a life well lived podcast at gmail.com. That's a life well lived podcast at gmail.com. This podcast has been made in association with the U3A with sponsorship from Cox and Kings. The presenter was me, Constance Knox, and the producer was Mariana DeForge. Our guest was Tony Nunn.